Ryan. Thankful for Ryan being willing to, to share that. And uh, if you are a visitor here, kind of exploring Christianity, welcome. Uh, the first week you're coming is about fasting, okay? That's where we're going to be. Matthew chapter 6. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, make your way there. And if you are new here and you're trying to figure out Christianity and you're wondering, and what, what are you going to talk about fasting? What is fasting? And why in the world do Christians even do that thing? Like, what, what is all of that? I hope today answers some of your questions. You might have been a believer for years and you're asking the same questions. I don't know what fasting is or how it works or any of those things. And so hopefully when we look at this passage and actually several others in the Bible, it'll bring some clarity to your mind and to your heart as we look at this, this challenge from Christ that we would fast. And I'm going to be honest, I know it sounds odd to think about fasting. Some of y'all have already been thinking about what you want to do for lunch today, right? Your mind's already there. And to think about fasting for a minute, it's a little bit odd. I mean... Thinking about it this week, how important food is for us. Just here off of Concord Mills Boulevard, we have over 100 restaurants. 100, just right out here on our front porch, right? I was thinking this week, I mean, if you're here today and you're like, man, I really want some tacos. I mean, you have options upon options for lunch, right? You can go over there and get tacos for life. You can get on the border. Or if you want to save a little bit of money, you can go to Taco Bell, right? You can get your taco there. If you're like, no, I don't want tacos, I want barbecue, I was just thinking, just off the top of my head, Jim and Nick's, you got Max Speed Shop, you got Sonny's Barbecue, and you got multiple options of which barbecue joint you want to try. If you're like, neither one of those are scratching the itch, I want a burger. You got Bad Daddy's Burger, you got Cookout, you got Ace Burgers, you got Freddy's Burgers. If you want chicken, you got KFC, Bojangles, Viva Chicken, Zaxby's. Sadly, it's closed today, but you got Chick-fil-A as an option, right? If you're a breakfast for lunch uh, kind of person or dinner, you've got... Uh, places that focus just on breakfast, you can go to First Watch, you can go to Maple Street Biscuit Company, or Biscuitville, which I like to call Beeville. You can go to Beeville and get a biscuit there, right? You got all these different options for food. I mean, food is everywhere. It's all around us. Food is so important to us. We even have a whole network on TV devoted to food, the Food Network. My kids love watching the show Be Our Chef right now, and it's watching families make food and then present it and try to win awards. We like watching other people make food, right? We love it. We have a holiday called Thanksgiving. Let's be honest, it's just all about food, right? A little gratitude, a lot of food. And when we're not eating or driving to eat or anything like that, we're, we're chewing gum, which that's just practice for eating. That's all it is, right? We're chewing gum, getting ready to eat our next meal. I mean, we have food all around. Food is a big deal to our everyday life, Right? And that's why I believe that fasting is such a big deal for us also. As important as food is, Jesus is going to say fasting is just as important. So follow along with me as I read in Matthew 6. We're going to read through the whole Lord's Prayer since this is our last week in the Lord's Prayer. We'll start in verse 9 and we'll actually go down through verse 18. The Word of the Lord says this. Pray then like this. And this is Jesus speaking and teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites For they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, 
anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. Pray with me. Father God, as we talk about prayer and fasting today, would you help us understand it? Would you grant us understanding to this, this passage and this topic? And this is something that you modeled for us while you were here on earth and that you called us to follow your example. We confess that we cannot do this apart from you and your help. So Lord, today, help us to understand and apply your word to our lives. We take this silent moment right now to pray something similar that God would help you to understand and apply his word to your life. Pray right now. Pray also for me. Uh, pray that I would be able to communicate this command of Christ for us, this encouragement for our lives, that I would be able to communicate it well, that we would be able to apply it. Pray for me now. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would speak through weakness now to the glory of your great name. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's start. What is fasting? When we talk about fasting, what are we talking about? And it's a physical reality that points to a spiritual reality. See, we choose not to eat certain food or put aside water for a period of time to express a spiritual reality in our life. And what we're trying to express is this, that more than our bodies depend on food, our souls depend on God. So we might take a day, we might take a meal, we might take a couple days to choose not to eat or to not drink in order to focus on our need for God. Now this might seem very simple, but this is very important. It was, it was extremely important to Jesus. Think about this. If you know your Bible well and you look back just a couple pages, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is starting up his earthly ministry. And he starts his ministry with fasting. Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 through 4 says this, Jesus led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. No joke, you take 40 days, you're going to be hungry, right? He was hungry. And the tempter, that's the devil, Satan, came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is teaching us that truth about fasting. He's like, we don't just live by the food that we eat physically. No, we live by every word from the mouth of God. We rely on that. We need that. Now, what's happening here is Jesus resists, resists temptation. Fasting didn't make him weak spiritually. It actually made him strong to where he resists this temptation. And once again, if you know your Bible, your mind should read this passage in Matthew 4 and should go all the way back to the book of Genesis, all the way back to the very beginning. 
Because there's another time that Satan comes to someone and says, hey, why don't you eat that? Why don't you, why don't you try this, this food? And it's with Adam and Eve. God has given them plenty to eat. Remember, God's not against food. He made it. He gave us taste buds to enjoy it and to, to, to have full stomachs. He even gave us the model in Matthew 6 that give us this day our daily bread. So it's not that we just don't eat. No, eat and enjoy food. But it's in, when we fast, we're pausing to say, man, more than I need this food, I need you, Lord. I need you. See, with Adam and Eve in the Old Testament, when they are tempted, they choose to say, no, I'm going to disobey God. I'm going to rebel against God. I'm going to do things my way. I know God said to do it this way. No, I don't want to. And it's been fascinating to me. I, I don't know how I've grown up in church and never realized that, that the first temptation ever in, in the Bible, ever in the history of man, had food at the center of it. So Adam and Eve rebel, and they fall. The first Adam fails. But then we get to Matthew 4, and you see the second Adam, Christ. He doesn't fall. He doesn't falter. He doesn't fail. He fulfills everything perfectly. And he speaks in that temptation. He says, no, I don't live by just bread, but by every word that comes through the mouth of God. See, fasting is important to Jesus. It's important to Jesus. So important that here in Matthew 6, this is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This is a big deal. Like, this is his like, mega sermon that he preaches. And in this sermon, he could have picked a number of different things to spend time on. And he does. But one of them is around fasting. Jesus chooses to teach about fasting in here. He wants us to understand it. He wants us to apply it to our lives. Now, look back at verse 16 with me, because this is an important word. I want you to underline it, mark it, highlight it, whatever you do in your Bible. It says, and when. When you fast. That's a very important word, when. When Jesus says this, his assumption is that his followers would fast. It doesn't say, and if you fast. No, when you fast. This is something that all of us as followers of Christ, if you're a believer in him, that you should apply to your life. And what I love is Jesus uses the same language to talk about fasting, to talk about two other things that we're like, yeah, of course Christians do that. But we oftentimes leave off fasting. Look back at verse 2 of Matthew 6. The first few verses of Matthew 6, Jesus talks about generosity and how we should give to help those who are needy, to help those who don't know Jesus yet. And it says this in verse 2, and when you give, not if you give, when you give. And we're like, yeah, of course, like Christians should be generous because Christ has been so generous to us, absolutely. Now go down a few more verses to verse 7. It says, and when you pray, not if you pray, when you pray. And we would be, yeah, yeah, exactly. Christians should pray. That's something we should do. And then Jesus, using the exact same words down here in verse 16, and when you fast. And that's where we're like, whoa. Whoa, I thought that was an if statement right there. <laughs> like I get the prayer beforehand. I get the, 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 the generosity. But, but the fasting? Yeah. Jesus sees it as just as important as our prayer life and just as important as our generosity that we would fast. But let's be honest, we struggle with that. It's a hard thing to do, and maybe it's we just don't know how or why, but it's something we struggle with. Even as we started off this year of prayer in 2023 as a church, that's our focus, 
We did that survey, if you remember, back the second week of January. And just five questions, you guys filled them out. And in there, one of them was about fasting. And 90% of our church family doesn't fast at all, hadn't fasted at all in 2022, or fasted one time. Now, I'm not slamming us as a church, because if you actually took a zoom back and you looked at national studies, we're actually way above the curve, okay? Uh, and actually, in national studies, it says that about 2% of professing believers fasted any time in the previous year. 2%. We're at 10%, okay? We still have room for growth, and we want to continue to grow. But it's sad that we have somehow moved so far from where Jesus assumes that his followers would fast to many of us don't even think about it at all. And this has not been the norm. This has not been the norm. In the first century, the, the Jews and the Pharisees fasted twice a week, every Monday and every Thursday. That would be from sunup to sundown. They would intentionally fast. It was a core practice for them. In the early church, uh, the, the believers would fast biweekly. They still fasted twice a week as well. Now, the Didache, which is the earliest writing we have uh, of the church outside of the Bible that we hold in our hands, the Didache actually talks about fasting. And it's really funny because it says in there, do not let your fast coincide with the hypocrites or the Pharisees, right? They fast on Mondays and Thursdays, but you must fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. And this goes to prove that grumpy Christians are nothing new, okay? <laughs> they were there even at the beginning, right, in the early church. The only days that they refused to fast as Christians were on Saturdays and Sundays. Saturdays were a day that they would look back and remember how God created everything and praise him and worship him on Saturdays for his creation. And then on Sunday, the start of the week, the, week, the day of the week that Christ rose from the grave, they would gather together and they would celebrate and they would feast not just the first creation but the new creation that came in Christ. So on the whole, those are the two days that they would not fast. But they did have periodic fasts throughout the year. They would do it for Lent. They would do it actually the day before Easter. Um, they would do it the day before they were baptized. In the early church, they would tell people, you're going to be baptized tomorrow, fast the day beforehand. If they knew that they were taking a special Lord's Supper throughout the week, they would choose to fast on that day beforehand. All of this is showing us that it's a regular rhythm within the church, the early church, to fast. Now, let's hit the fast forward button and go hundreds of years later to the 1700s. It was still common in the church in the 1700s to pray and to fast. There's a man named John Wesley. Some of you may know him if you like church history, but he was a Brit that came over the pond to America in the 1700s, one of the most influential church leaders in the Western world. His impact on America is still being felt to this day. And this is what he wrote about fasting. He said, I fear that there are now thousands of Methodists, so-called, he's a little passive-aggressive, you'll see that again in a second, okay? Little so-called who are in England and Ireland who follow the same bad example and entirely leave off fasting and are so far from fasting twice a week. They don't even fast twice a month. You know who you are, Christians, so-called, the man who never fasts is no more in the way to heaven than the man who never prays. Now, 
I'm not saying that I agree with everything that John Wesley said in that statement. He was a little grumpy too, all right? But what I'm trying to highlight here is even in the 1700s, it was common to fast regularly. And then we jump just a few hundred years later, and it's not even on our radar. And I'll take some of the blame for that as pastors that we don't talk about it enough. I mean, I, I don't know if I've heard a sermon on fasting before, right, when I was growing up in the church. We don't talk about it enough, but I think there's several other things that, that lead us and impact us to not think about fasting or not apply this assumed discipline to our lives that Jesus talks about. And I think one of them is just we have raised the bar of our mind to above everything else. We have a disproportionate understanding of our mind and our body and our soul. Now, again, don't misunderstand me. I love to study. I love to read. I went to seminary. I've got my master's degree. I love to dive in deep and to think about all these things. I'm not saying to have a scholar's mind is a bad thing. I'm just saying that the enlightenment movement of honoring the mind above everything else has deeply shaped us. And I think it's caused us to, to drift away from fasting. Let me show you an example of how that would be. If you came to me and you said, hey, I really want to grow in my faith. I really want to, uh, to love Jesus more. And I responded to you, oh, well, then fast. You'd be like, what? Fast? Like, how is not eating going to make me more holy? And how is not eating going to make me love Jesus more? I'm probably going to be more angry. <laughs> be a grumpy person, right? That's, that's what we would think if I said fasting. Now, you would expect me to say, yeah, here's a great book you should read. If you read this book, man, then you're going to grow in your faith. You're going to grow in your faith. Hey, here's a great podcast. Listen to these sermons. Listen to this podcast. Watch this great video on YouTube. And if you grow in all of your knowledge, then you will be more holy and you'll, you'll follow the Lord more faithfully and your faith will grow. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do those other things. I'm just saying our response when we first say fasting shows that there's a disconnect between what our bodies can help us do to love the Lord and our minds. Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind and your strength. So we can't just say, well, I'm just going to learn, and everything I learn, that's going to grow my faith. No, sometimes there's physical things that impact our body that help us trust the Lord more, that help us trust the Lord. So when we choose not to, to, to eat for a period of time, to pray and to praise God or to thank him or to lift up a certain burden, yeah, yeah, I think that grows our faith in deeper and better ways than, than even reading a book or listening to a podcast can do. Now, I think another reason why we've moved away, at least in the American culture, from fasting is because we love comfort and we love pleasure. So anything that gets in the way of our comfort or our pleasure, like, that's off the table. Like, Jesus, I will give you everything except for my discomfort. Like, I, I want to I, I keep my comfort as much as I can. And so when we talk about fasting, yeah, that's difficult. And yeah, at times that's hard. All right, we have hunger pains. So we say, well, no, I'm not going to do it because we're not willing to release comfort and pleasure at the foot of the Lord. We've got to understand this truth. We've got to understand this reality that many things, many things bring pleasure in the short term but may reap damage in the long term. And the opposite is also true. Many things that are, very, are not very fun or are very difficult in the short term can yield dividends for years or even generations to come. 
all that God would give us the, the foresight to be able to realize more than just today, more than just my temporal pleasures. Can I sacrifice in such a way that would impact the next year, impact the next generation, all that we would change our view? You see, this whole principle of, of pleasure, the pleasure principle is what a psychologist will often call it. 30 years ago, 40 years ago, they used to talk about that just for middle schoolers. They saw middle schoolers living their lives around the pleasure principle. Everything that gives pleasure and, and joy to my life, I'm going to pursue that and make all my decisions revolving around that. But now studies are showing that, psychologists are saying that, the, the pleasure principle, is now they're finding it in 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds. We've got to learn that there's some things worth sacrificing for because there's something better that we gain out of it. Maybe not in the short term, but in the long term. And fasting is one of those. All right, so if, if fasting isn't necessarily popular, um, it's not necessarily going on in our culture right now, we've got all these things, then, then, then why do we fast? Why? You see, if we have a strong why, and I'm a why person, I love to ask the question why. If you have a strong why, it'll help you get through any how. And God's word tells us over and over again why we should fast. So this is the second point. Why do we fast? And the first, I got five for you, so hold on, okay? Five reasons why we fast. The first is this, to declare our great need for God. I know that seems so simple, but that is the overlying banner of all the reason that we fast. It's to declare our great need for God. So it's been a couple years ago now. Uh, there's a movie that came out called Dunkirk, um, put together by Christopher Nolan. Some of you may have watched it. It's a great movie. Um, it's about a true story of something that happened in World War II. And this battle of Dunkirk, if the Allies would have lost it, it would have changed the tide to the whole war. It would have changed the tide. But what the film doesn't show you is that the day before this battle of Dunkirk happens... On May 26, 1940, King George called for a national day of prayer and fasting. See, it was even normal then in the 1940s for that to happen. And when King George made that call for prayer and fasting because they needed God to move in amazing ways, this is what it looked like. Okay? Those of you that have been to London, this is an entrance going into Westminster Abbey. As people that day turned up to pray and to fast for God to move because they knew they were hopeless without him. And this is just a picture of West, Westminster Abbey. Every church across the UK looked like that that day. You can look up photos. People were there praying and they were fasting because they knew that they needed God to move. Now they pray and they fast and a couple things happen after all of that. Winston Churchill comes out and makes this statement after the prayer meeting. He makes a call for the Brits to, to go and to get in their small fishing boats and sail across the English Channel, which would have been crazy because normally that's really choppy and really difficult to get a small boat across it. But he wanted them to sail across it to rescue their troops that were in Dunkirk. Now, there were about 400,000 French and British troops that were stuck there. They were pinned against the water with the Germans all around them. 400,000 troops. And so they pray and they fast, and Churchill says, go and take your boot, boats and sail across the water and rescue these soldiers. Now what's fascinating 
is that there, at the same time, there's a violent storm that happens off the coast of France. And that storm kept the beaches right there at Dunkirk covered so that the Germans couldn't fly their planes over and drop bombs on the soldiers that were waiting to get rescued. They had cloud cover so they couldn't see. And historians write that as they went to the English Channel and saw these these average everyday people get in their boats and try to sail across the English Channel, they write, and I quote, there was an eerie calm that settled over the English Channel. An eerie calm. Those two things don't go together. Storm and calm waters. And yet they did. And these boats get across and they rescue. Their goal, the plan, their, their prayer was that they would rescue 30,000 soldiers. They wanted to rescue 30,000 of the 400,000 soldiers that were there. And they ended up rescuing with these small boats 338,000 soldiers. Now we read that and we're like, huh, what a coincidence. Just randomly happened that way. People prayed and fasted. There's a storm. There's calm waters. That's how we perceive it today, but not at that time. You see, the, the people at that time, all the, literature you, all the literature that you read, all the things you study, they didn't call it Dunkirk. They didn't call it what the movie called it. They called it the miracle of Dunkirk. They realized, they realized there's no way that this should pan out. We were just hoping to save 30,000 soldiers, and they saved over 300,000 Soldiers. Now my point is this. There's a time, both ancient and modern, both national and personal, that there's a crisis that hits. And we flat out need a move from God. We are desperate for him to move. And I think that we need to see that and even realize it for our day and our time. It's interesting, if you go and you read in Nehemiah, the very beginning of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 1, he looks out at his city and his people, and he sees the city burning down. He sees all this craziness and upheaval. He sees people scattered and frustrated. And Nehemiah doesn't sit there and be like, I'm going to sit here and complain. Complain about how this government's being ran wrong and why things are going on. No, he breaks down and he fasts and he prays for his people. Because he knows that only, only God can rally this. Only God can bring a revival. Only God can change hearts. He knew his great need for God, and so he prayed. Oh, that we would desire that same passion for prayer and fasting. That we'd see God move in a way that we cannot. We'd see God revive and rescue and save people. Oh, and let's not be foolish enough to think... That this need for God is just for major crisis moments. This is for everyday life. I cannot be saved apart from God's grace. I can't be the husband that God calls me to be apart from his goodness. I need him. I can't be the worker unless he gives me the strength. I can't even take a breath unless God gives it to me. We are fully dependent upon him, not just in crisis, but in all times. So that's the first reason why we fast. Second reason why we fast is to delight in God's goodness. And as I was studying this this week, this was so encouraging to my heart. I hope it's encouraging to yours. Because for me, as I'm praying and thinking about fasting this week, I'm like, I don't want to pray for fasting in my life. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm protect my comfort, protect my pleasure. And every time I fasted in my life, it was because there was some tragedy that was going on or some difficulty in my life that I had to fast and pray. And I'm like, 
oh my goodness, like, I, don't want a, I don't want a tragedy or something difficult in my life, so I have to fast. And I'm thankful because God's word tells us to come to him and fast in delighting. Zechariah chapter 8 says this, God says this, he says, the Lord of hosts says, fast on the fourth month, fast in the fifth month, fast in the seventh month, fast in the tenth month, and listen to this, it shall be a season of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Time out, what? Cheerful feasts. I thought verse 19 of Zechariah 8 just said we're going to be fasting. I thought we're fasting fourth month, fifth month, and this is, a, this is a time of cheerful feasts and joys. Like, what? Yeah. What God is trying to help us understand is that some of the times we fast, it's, it's feasting. It's not starving. It's feasting on God's goodness instead of food. And one of the ways we do that is we delight in God's goodness. Psalm 63, verse one, uh, Psalm 63 verse 1 says this, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, for my soul thirsts for you. Thirsts for you. My soul thirsts for God more than water itself. You see, part of fasting is a sense of praising God for his goodness that satisfies our soul. Third reason why we should fast and can fast is to confess our need for God's forgiveness. Confess our need for God's forgiveness. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, you'll see people like in Joel chapter 1 and Joel chapter 2 who are fasting because they've been convicted over their sin and they need to repent. And they're saying, we're going to fast because more than, what I, more, more than a need for a meal is a need for God's mercy to cover my sin. People that were really struggling with a particular uh, besetting sin in their life, they have an impulse to fast, to set aside food for a little bit of time and say, God, help me with this battle of sin. I need your mercy. I need your strength more than I need a meal right now. So I'm going to choose to fast and pray. Fast and pray. Fourth reason why we should fast is to seek and to submit to God's will. To seek and to submit to God's will. Oftentimes when you look in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, as people are seeking God's will and wanting to follow him, they take time to fast beforehand. Ezra chapter 8, Nehemiah chapter 1, Daniel chapter 9, all are examples of this. They knew that they needed God's will. They needed help following God's will. And so they spent time fasting. And as they fasted, they're proclaiming more than we want food for our hungry souls to cease or for our hungry stomachs to cease. We want God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done. More than food, we want God's will. So they seek and submit God's will through fasting. We should as well. The last one is this, to anticipate the return of Christ. We fast in order to anticipate the return of Christ. This might seem like an odd one, but Matthew chapter 9, if you want to read that this week, you can. In there, uh, John's disciples, uh, John the Baptist's disciples, come to Jesus. And they tell Jesus, hey, we see the Pharisees fasting, and we're John's disciples, and we're fasting. Why are your disciples not fasting? And Jesus' response is fascinating. He didn't say, well, it's because they don't need to fast. No, he says, well, it's because the bridegroom is here, because I am here. The Messiah is here. 
And as long as I'm here, they're going to celebrate and they're going to rejoice at my first coming. But then when I'm gone, they're going to fast a lot. I expect them to fast. I assume that they're going to fast. They're going to fast and they're going to pray in anticipation for my return, for me coming back again. And so sometimes in our lives, we look at our broken world and we're so frustrated. We're so jaded. We're so hurt. We look and we're like, why is cancer in this world? And why are all these injustices happening? And why are these evil people prospering? And why are all these good people seeming to be oppressed? Like, why is all this bad stuff happening in this world? This should drive us to fast and to pray with anticipation that the good king is coming again. The perfect one who's coming to cast out all injustices and to make all wrongs right. He is coming. And we look with joy and we pray, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Those are the ways that we fast. This is why we fast. Now, if those are the reasons why we fast, then how do we fast during those different seasons? That's the last point. How do we fast? Now, I love the heart of Jesus in so many different ways. But if you look back at Matthew 6 and verse 16, Jesus says, and when you fast, there he assumes that we're going to fast. And then the next words, do not. This is what I love about the heart of Jesus. He assumes that we're going to fast. And second, he assumes we're going to get it wrong. Praise God for that grace, right? And so Jesus is like, well, let me, let me give you some pointers here. Don't do these things. Don't do these things. Now, let me give you an acrostic to help understand fasting. It's been helpful for me. I didn't come up with it. A pastor named David Platt put this together, but it's the acrostic FAST. So each letter stands for something. And the first is focus. This is how we fast. We focus on God. You see, Jesus, the very first thing he says after when you fast is, do not do this. Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites who disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Who's the focus of their fasting? Others. It's so that others will look at them and think, man, that person is super spiritual. Man, that person is really holy. They've got stuff figured out. Look at how, look at how much weight they've lost. They must be really, really spiritual. And Jesus is like, no, 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 don't do it that way. That's the wrong way. Don't focus on others. Instead, verse 17, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your Father who is in secret. We fast so that God would hear our prayers, that God would see us. That is our focus through all of this. Now, this doesn't mean we don't ever fast as a community. This doesn't mean that if, you, if somebody accidentally hears that you're fasting, oh, it doesn't count now. That's not what he's saying. It's coming back to the focus of why you're fasting. It's to, to pray to the Lord, to seek him, to seek his will and his kingdom. It's about him. So when you're fasting and you're focusing in on God, the second letter for A is you abstain from something. And specifically, in the biblical sense, you abstain from food or water. Some people will say, well, you know, I'll fast for other things like, technology or TV or I'll choose to fast from all these different things. And those can be really great things to say, this is kind of pulling my heart away from God and I need to kind of stop doing that, whether that's hanging out with that person, dealing with that technology, and, and I'm going to focus on the Lord in those times instead. That's fantastic. I'm just saying that the Bible doesn't call that fasting. Nowhere in the Bible does it, does it call that fasting. 
Everywhere in the Bible, it talks about fasting with food and water. Some of you might say, well, well, look at like Daniel chapter 9. Like in Daniel, it says that he fasted, and so all he did was eat vegetables and drink water. So, so he did a different kind of fast. If you look in Daniel, um, the word fasting isn't used at all in the whole section. He's abstaining from food because he doesn't want to be like the Babylonian culture at that time, and there's several other reasons. You go read Daniel on your own to find those out. But it's never called fasting. So when we say fast, it's abstaining from food or drink. It's not just a restrictive diet, okay? It's not dieting. And, and that's one of the big things right now that we, uh, in, our, in our culture days, we'll do like intermittent fasting, where especially for guys like 40s and their 50s, it's like you don't eat um, in, in the day at all. You take like an 18-hour break and, and you're fasting in, in between and you have intermittent fasting. And you're like, well, I'm fasting. Like, look at me, I'm fasting. No, okay, there's a deeper level of fasting than trying to shave pounds, okay? Like, I don't think Jesus, when he went into the wilderness and was fasting for 40 days, was trying to get washboard abs. I don't think that was the main point of Jesus saying, like, I'm going to fast now, okay? Us having restrictive diets in our life, once again, can be healthy for our bodies, absolutely, but there's something deeper that has to happen when we abstain from food or drink, and it's that we substitute. We substitute that time of eating or drinking with prayer and Bible study. That's what the S is, substitute. Substitute eating or drinking with times of prayer and study. It's not just a diet. It's not just like I I took some time and didn't eat, and so I fasted. No, in the biblical sense, we're choosing to exchange something. We're exchanging our food for a fast to pray and to read. So use a fast as a trigger for you to pause and to quote a verse of the Bible in your mind or to pause and to pray. If you use your hunger pangs as a, as a trigger to pause and pray, you, your prayer life will grow by leaps and bounds because you'll be there at lunchtime. You're like, oh, it's 11 o'clock. I'm so hungry. Okay, I need to pause and just pray for a second. Just pray. And then noon will come and 1 o'clock will come and you'll be praying again and then you're hungry again at 3 and you're like, I'm praying now and then it's 5 and I've got to pray again. And you'll just see your prayer life starting to multiply like crazy because you're intentionally using that time as a substitute to pray or to remember God's word for your life. Another way to, to think about it or another way to say it is we're starving the flesh in order to feed the spirit. That's what we're doing. And one of the greatest benefits of this won't just be a, a spiritual benefit. It'll also help you emotionally. And, and we want to, I won't get into too many of these things, but let me just say this. If you can learn how to be happy and joyful when you have hunger appetites and, and you're not getting what you want, it's going to help you on so many levels of your life. Like when your boss doesn't do what you want him to do. If you've learned how to have joy and control your emotions when you don't get what you want, then you can respond with peace even when your boss doesn't do what you want him to do. Or maybe your spouse doesn't do what you hope they would do or what you ask them to do. And you can respond to that in a negative way or you can use the, the gift of fasting to discipline your body to know I don't have to get every single thing my way. It's not all about my will. And so it's going to help you. It'll even help you when God says no to what you want. For some of us, you've been praying and God said, no, I don't want you to have that. That's not good for you. And if you can discipline your body to still have joy 
and thankfulness in the Lord when you don't get your physical food, then when you don't get what you want physically from God, you can still be grateful. You can still thank him. You can still pray to him. Which leads us to the last thing, T. Taste, see that the Lord is good. The Lord is good. We opened service today with a very important verse. Every Sunday we open with a verse to help engage your mind with prayer and worship and hearing from God's word. And so we open with Psalm 34 this morning. It was read over us. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Right? But I want you to see the verses that come right after that in Psalm 34. It says this, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. Young lions, they suffer want and hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. See, fasting is showing us as we do that, that God is more than sufficient for us. And more than just his sufficiency, he satisfies us. He says, come and see. Come and taste and see that I am good. This is the invitation to us. And so as I close, two points of application for you around that. First of all, some of you who are here that are, like I said, exploring Christianity, if you're here long enough, and I would encourage you to stick six with us, stick six weeks, then you're going to hear things where we talk about the holiness of God, the justice of God, the greatness of God. This is who he is. And because of his holiness and his divine justice, he can't just look down on our wrongs and our sins and sweep it under the rug and say, it's okay. That's not who our God is. Our God is perfect and calls us to be holy as he is holy. And one of the greatest privileges that we have as Christians is that we can pray and we can fast and know that we are heard by God. How is that possible? How can a holy, just God allow rebels to come before him and ask things and he actually answers their prayers? Because of what Jesus has done. See, Jesus came and not just taught about fasting, but lived the perfect life, died the perfect death in our place, and then defeated death as he rose from the grave so that we could have both temporal joy in life and also eternal joy and eternal life. Taste and see that he's good, that we would believe that a God would humble himself to save us, humble himself to give everything in order to rescue us. This is the glory of God. And for you today, as you hear this, you might say, I desire that. You, you know your sin, you want to come before a holy God, you only come through Jesus Christ, the one who can wash you clean from your sins. And for those of us who are believers, I would invite you to take a step of faith and fast this year. To fast. And that'll look different for each one of you. It might be a day, it might be a meal each week, but some kind of rhythm of try to fast this year. Try to take that step of faith. And I would encourage you, as you take that step of faith, share it with one or two people in your small group. Tell people in your small group, I need you to pray for this. Like, I love to eat. Food is fantastic, right? I need help with this. So would you pray for me and help hold me accountable to this because I want to be obedient to do what Jesus said when you fast. I want to do that. I want to obey Jesus. And even tell them specifically how you're going to do that. I'm going to try to fast one day a week or one meal a week. Would you just pray during that time for me or even do it with me? Whatever it is, take that step of faith to be obedient to the Lord today. Pray with me.
Lord, we need your help. We want to be faithful to you and specifically to this command to, to fast. It's a spiritual discipline you call us to, just like you did for, for generosity and giving and prayer. Lord, we desperately need to taste and see that you are good, that you're better than even the most basic things that we need in this world, food. Lord, you're better than, than anything this world has to offer. We need you. We want you. We want you more than our bodies want food. So, Lord, teach us to come to you. Teach us to come to you in fasting and in prayer. That we draw close to you. Lord, you are the bread of life. That doesn't just fill our stomachs, but fills our hungry souls. So, Lord, I pray that you would say this morning as well that someone who knows their weight of their guilt and their sin would come to you this morning and find your faithfulness, find your goodness, and taste and see that you are good. It's in your good name that we pray. Amen. Church, let's stand now. Let's sing and praise the goodness of God towards us.